Thank you for all of our music this morning and all of the blessings, the readers, and, and all of the others. Uh, we're in a sermon series during the season of Lent, Struggles on the Jesus Way, and uh, looking at the hardships and the, the difficulties. And in a moment, I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 12. If you want to have your Bibles ready, I'd like for us to bow for a time of prayer together, a time of silence in God's presence, and then I'll lead us uh, in our family prayer. Our loving and merciful God, we praise you and thank you that it is always your glory to show mercy and grace and forgiveness, to be gracious to us sinful people who need your help. We come to you with brokenness, come to you with private pain, come to you with worries and burdens, come to you with fears. We pray that you might truly lift those burdens and touch lives. We pray today that your grace might be mighty toward those who have drifted spiritually, who need to be back on the way, following you more closely. We pray today for those in our membership who are facing surgery, those who are uh, recovering, those who are battling disease. We pray grace and strength to each of them. And for all who are grieving of various kinds of losses, that you might sustain them, watch over them. We pray, dear God, that you might bless uh, the nation of Ukraine, that today you might uh, be providential above the nations and guide in the process with the Crimean elections and all of the tensions there in that region. Bless our sisters and brothers in Ukraine as the churches try to give witness and to carry on and to be strengthened. We pray that you will bless in this place, this hour, that we'll be open to your spirit, that God, we might be bringing our very best words, our very best thoughts, our very best intentions uh, to the scripture that you have for us this morning. And we pray with the psalmist that you might allow the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts to be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. And uh, I will invite you to stand if you're able, and I'll read this scripture aloud. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. The word of the Lord, may he bless it. You may be seated. A letter dated January 31st, 1829 to President-elect Andrew Jackson. Dear sir, the canal system of this country is being threatened by the spread of a new form of transportation known as railroads. The federal government must preserve the canals for the following reasons. Number one, if canal boats are supplanted by railroads, serious unemployment will result. Two, boat builders will suffer. Three, 
Canal boats are absolutely essential to the defense of the United States. As you know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engines which snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. Signed, Governor Martin Van Buren, Governor of New York. Well, someone has wisely said, it's not change that we fear so much. What we really fear is the unknown which change produces. It's true, isn't it? Uh, We are in this sermon series dealing with obstacles and dangers and difficulties and struggles along the Jesus way. And uh, one of the struggles along the Jesus way is the struggle of risk, the fear of the unknown. If we follow Jesus, we don't always have the map, we don't always have the GPS given to us every step of the way to the final destination, and it's scary. It really is. Abram is, is the, the classic story about risk and about faith and about stepping into the unknown. And by the way, in this passage of Scripture, he is known as Abram. Uh, later, his name will be changed to Abraham. And out of habit, I may uh, alternate unknowingly between those two. It's the same person. Uh, later in his career, his name was changed. But in this 12th chapter of Genesis, we read about his journeys. Now, uh, if you look at a map, a map will show you that he traveled with his family uh, from Ur of the Chaldees to Haran and then to the Holy Land. And if you look at the, at the map on the screen, there's sort of an inverted V. Over to the right, lower right-hand corner, Ur is the city in modern-day Iraq. And then Haran is way up in modern-day Turkey. And it's, in, uh, it, it's from Ur that Abraham came with his family. He traveled with his father and, and a large family to Haran. But it's at Haran that chapter 12 of Genesis occurs where God gives to Abram a call to go to the new place that God is preparing for him to travel from Haran all the way down the left-hand side along the Mediterranean coast down to Shechem near Jerusalem. You can perhaps hopefully see that on the screen on the, on the western seaboard in the Holy Land, Palestine, Canaan, known by various names. Now, from Haran to Shechem or Haran Uh, to that region, approximately 400 miles. No four-lane highways, no cell phone towers, no video games to keep the children occupied, either beast of burden or walking, dangerous, dusty, hot, arduous journey. Abram hears the call of God in Haran, And he goes. It's amazing. Now, the scripture lists several separations that uh, Abram experiences. And and this passage is so succinct, it's so compact, there's so much truth packed into it. In the very first verse, we read of at least three separations that Abram made. First of all, he separated from his home country. So there was a loss of national identity of racial identity, of ethnic identity by going to a brand new place where he was a nobody. Secondly, 
he separated from his kindred or his homeland, his kind. You could think of that as sort of a cultural separation, separation from uh, language that's familiar, separation from customs that are familiar, separation from a worldview that is familiar, separation from, from culture that, that he was acquainted with. And then third, he separated from his father's house, that is, from biological family, to move away from the place where you were connected, the place that gives you your I, I sense of being, uh, from not only biological family, but close friends and memories and, and a sense of community, a sense of belonging that, that makes you feel important and significant. He made all these separations, an amazing journey, an amazing journey. Um, I, I like the way one person described this. It said, with every phrase, the loss becomes more personal. You know, maybe you can stand to leave your nation, but it moves more personal. You, you lose your culture, your, your, your common people. And then maybe you can stand that, but to lose your family your family of origin, and with every phrase, the loss becomes more intimate, more personal, less general, less impersonal, and with everyone, it, it moves in and it cuts close, and, and with every phrase, the ground underneath Abram is cut away from him. With every phrase, he loses his solid footing, his certainty about this is who I am and this is what my life is about. With every phrase, he, the ground's cut from underneath him and, and there's less stability in his life. It's tough to pull up stakes, or a phrase I'm going to loan you this morning, it takes guts to leave the ruts. It takes guts to leave the ruts. It takes courage to step out into the unknown, out of the familiar, out of the same. But there was not only loss, but there was promise. In verse 2 and in verse 3, God promises several things. God promises, first of all, a, a new nation, a new people. God promises, secondly, uh, Abram's reputation will be great. Then he promises Abram a new relationship with God and a new relationship with other people. Look at it with me. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. The ones who curse you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. In two verses... The word bless or blessing is used five times. If you don't get anything else from this sermon this morning, if you don't get anything else from life, understand that God created you so that God could bless you. God wants to bless your life. But God created you not only to bless you, but to make you a blessing. Not only to be a receiver, but a transmitter of blessing. That's what we're all created to be and to do. And we live in a world of curses. And I don't mean just swearing, although that's probably included. But I mean by curses, uh, language and actions that diminish other people. Language and actions that, that wither and wilt other people, that, that devalue other people. We live in a world of curses, and in that world of curses, we're called to be blessed and to be a blessing to others. And so this was the promise to Abram. But, but, we can't receive a blessing and be a blessing if we don't step out and risk. The promise couldn't come to Abram if he stayed in the rut. He had to move into the new. 
And we miss a lot of blessings and a lot of opportunities to be blessings because we want to play it safe. We love normal, whatever normal is. We love same. We love routine. We love ruts. We love comfort. We love security. The great Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann has given us a good model for talking about this this polarity between equilibrium and transformation. If you could think of that on the screen as a long line that is a long continuum, and and on one side on the left is our craving of equilibrium. And he points out that there are a lot of Bible passages that promise us equilibrium. The key word here is staying. Comfort, security, promise, structure, discipline, Lots of Bible passages, Brueggemann tell us, talk about equilibrium, and we love to claim those Bible passages. But Brueggemann points out that that just as many, if not more, Bible passages are not about equilibrium, but about something on the other side of the continuum, which is transformation. And the key word under transformation is not stay, but go. The key word under transformation uh, would be a word like risk, or danger, or adventure, or instability, or messiness. Now, both truths are in Scripture. But which one do you normally gravitate toward? Which kinds of Scriptures do you and I normally gravitate toward uh, for our sense of, of comfort each day? Yeah. Here's a truth, and I challenge you to think about it. In our Western civilization, we have made an idol out of security. Many many developing nations and people groups don't know security, so they haven't made it a god, but we have made a false god out of security, and we always want to hang around the equilibrium verses. But aren't you glad? I mean, you ever just stop and think about it? Aren't you glad? Abram was willing to hear the transformation part of God's message and not just the equilibrium part of God's message. Aren't you glad Abram obeyed? Because if he hadn't, guess what? We wouldn't be here. I mean, what he opened up, the way God blessed him and made him a blessing, continues to ripple into thousands and thousands of generations. But remember, it takes guts to leave the ruts. But it's not just our love of uh, security that keeps us from the adventure. It's our love of success. We like to succeed. I like to succeed. You like to succeed. You know, in your job, you're being evaluated. Uh, in in uh, various enterprises, we like to succeed. If we're doing if we're doing uh, charity work in the community, we like to succeed as a church. Uh, one of one of the ways you might profile First Baptist Church is that for a hundred years before our separation from the Missouri Baptist and Southern Baptist Convention, we were sort of the mother church for the state convention. And every program from Nashville, every Baptist idea and program was piloted in significant churches. And this church was historically a pilot uh, grounds for, for piloting or trying out new programs and ministries. And they were designed to succeed. And I'm not criticizing those. Those were wonderful. But what happens is churches get programmed for success. Just like people get programmed for success. But here's the subtle allure. If success becomes your goal, 
personally or a church or a movement, pretty soon you start playing it safe because you want to succeed, right? You start hedging your bets. We start playing it safe because we want to succeed. And the only way you can play it safe and succeed is to be in control. See what I'm talking about? And if we're in control, God's not. Now, Abram was not in control. His world was not tidy. His world was messy. He was not focused on success. He was focused on obedience. And there's a world of difference. He could live with the mess, although I doubt that it made him real happy at times. because he was focused on obedience. I want to make a case this morning for messiness. I'm in favor of it. I want to make a case this morning for mistakes. I'm in favor of them. Because there's a difference between fear mistakes and courage mistakes. Fear mistakes are mistakes that we make when we're running from God or we're too afraid to try anything for God and so we just sit in the rut and we fall into apathy and we don't do anything. Fear mistakes I'm not interested in, but I'm very open to courage mistakes. I think God smiles when we make courage mistakes because we're trying something, we're trusting Him, we're stepping out, we're risking, we're hearing the call to obey and to follow, and that's an exciting adventure, and God can always make something out of that. Abram made a lot of mistakes. Read the rest of the book of Genesis. And his family was a mess. But at least they were moving. Courage mistakes. And oh, by the way, This concept right here might explain why so many people are talking today about being bored with church or being bored in their Christian discipleship, a sense of apathy and malaise. Because you see, if you never risk anything, there's never any celebration. And maybe the reason some of us are bored spiritually is because we've never tried anything God-sized. We haven't tried anything big. We haven't stepped out of the safety zone. We haven't stepped out of the rut. We haven't, we haven't risked. When we risk, there's great joy and celebration because, because there's a, something at stake. It takes guts to leave the ruts. And uh, specifically in this text, how much, how much clear direction did God give to Abram? I mean, you read verse 1, God says to Abram, I will show you, I will make you. But how specific was the instruction? I mean, did God give Abram a GPS? Did God say, now the first year, here's the plan, Abram, here's the whole chart. Now the first year we're going to do this, and then phase 2 we're going to do this, and phase 3, and then when you're old, it's, he just said, I'm going to show you. 
In fact, I'd never seen this before. I've studied this scripture, this passage all my life. It, for the first time I saw it, God only says in verse 1, I'll show you. He doesn't say to, to Abram until verse 7, I'll give the land to you. You know what happens between I'll show you and I'll give it to you? Abram obeyed. Abram trusted. God's not going to give the land to somebody who's not going to obey. God says, I show you, then Abraham obeys, and then God says, okay, I'll give it to you. You know, God isn't going to show us the whole plan. He's going to show only as long as we trust him and step out. You know the old analogy. I've used it many times from this pulpit. The headlights on your car, if you're driving home from the lake late at night, back to Jefferson City, your headlights don't shine from Camdenton around every corner uh, into your driveway. Your headlights only shine a little bit ahead. If your car steep, uh, keeps moving, your headlights keep piercing the darkness. If your car stops, the headlights stop piercing the darkness. God doesn't shine and show us the whole journey. God shows just a little bit at a time so that we trust him. And as we risk and get out of the ruts, then God will show us a little bit more. We stop trusting, he'll stop showing. And how old was Abram? 75 years young. 75. I was in North Carolina a couple of weeks ago at a conference and was driving down a street and drove by a church and the church had one of these big signs out that it said, the sign said, if you're still breathing, God is not done with you. Amen. If you're still breathing, God is not done for you. Don't say you're too old, you're too young, you don't know the Bible well enough, you've been divorced or you've had moral failure or you've messed up or you don't understand this or you're not sure about that. God can use you. And where you are now is not where God intends for you to end up because God is working in your life and He wants you to come along and He wants you to risk. But He can't work in your life if you don't move. It takes guts to leave the ruts. And so, who's ready to go further with God this morning? Way to go, Tony. Way to go, Jeremy. Who's ready to experience more of God than what you've experienced? More of the Christian journey, the journey with Jesus than you've experienced. Who's tired of the same old, same old and ready to to step out and risk something so there'll be something worth celebrating. And then ask yourself, what would that look like? If I were to step out and trust, what might that look like and what might it cost me? And then what would it gain me? God would bless and God would make me a blessing. Let's pray.